I am today is uh, I am an author of a children's book. I am a uh, inspirational speaker. I go around to uh, school. Well, prior to COVID, I did um, go around to schools, although I have done some virtual uh, talks uh, to, to schools and kind of just, um, you know, giving the kids some pep talks on um, confidence, self-awareness, self-esteem. Um, I'm also an intrapersonal relationship coach, and that's uh, helping people with the relationship they have with themselves, because I always say the relationship you have with yourself sets the tone for all other relationships around you. I'm also a certified betrayal trauma practitioner. And uh, what I do is I, I gently uh, guide people from uh, discovery to freedom or from breakdown to breakthrough. So, um, you know, nobody is exempt from trauma on earth, whether that's the big T or the little T trauma. Nobody uh, is exempt from betrayal whether that's the big T or the little T and certainly betrayal trauma um, is something that a lot of people uh, suffer from. And uh, when I used to do intrapersonal coaching, um, I was, I was busy, but it wasn't until I became certified as a betrayal trauma practitioner that really my calls have skyrocketed, which is a good and a bad thing. It's good because business is wonderful, but it's sad that, that the services are so needed, you know, betrayal trauma. Um, I'm also a vet. vet. Um, I served in both the Army and the Air Force. Um, I have two wonderful adopted children. I'm going on 20 years of marriage next November. Um, so life is good. Life is absolutely good. There's no doubt about that. Um, having said that, you know, it always wasn't that way. Um, I was uh, born and raised in a, you know, pretty toxic uh, family life. Um, uh, lots of abuse. I quit school at the, uh, in sixth grade, um, lived on the streets for a while, um, but then worked my way up and, uh, and uh, you know, talked my way into uh, college, <laughs> had to uh, prove myself. And, uh, and I did eventually, I proved myself by uh, graduating with uh, honors with my associate's degree in therapeutic recreation, went on to graduate with honors with my bachelor's degree, dual studies in psychology and theater. And then with a lot of hard work and dedication, a master's degree in special education. So, um, you know, I come to the table with, uh, with, you know, some decent credits, but more, most importantly, uh, I am where I am and I am who I am today simply because of determination. I'm not smarter than anyone else. I'm not better looking than anyone else. I'm not more resourceful than anyone else. I just have determination. Perfect. And I will agree with that, um, the drive, something that you can't teach someone, you have to be driven. And you probably experience this with all the people that you speak to. It seems the more we can pull from a specific type of trauma and use it to as fuel to drive us, the further we can get in life. Um, you mentioned something that I want to touch on briefly before we get down into that. Why children's books specifically? Well, you know, there, basically what happened was, so uh, I, I was a special education teacher for many years, over 15 years. Um, and when I started teaching uh, um, special ed or school, um, I noticed that uh, probably 90% of my students came from a home with a mom and dad. Well, fast forward 15 years, 10% uh, of my students uh, were from a mom and dad home dynamic. 
All the other ones were from either uh, a grandparent was raising the child, the child was in foster care, uh, two moms, um, you, you know, you name it, it was a, it wasn't your, your mom and dad and, uh, family dynamic. And I worked in a lot of inner city schools, so there wasn't really a big budget for any types of, uh, books. Um, and I remember just, uh, talking to a teacher one time, kind of venting about, you know, cause at the time I taught second grade, I mean, I was certified K through eight, but at this time I was teaching second grade and I like to read to my students, but, um, there were no books that reflected their home life. And uh, so I remember venting to a teacher one time. I said, why in the world can't we get books uh, of just different family dynamics? And, um, and then all of a sudden a light bulb went out and I was like, duh, just write one. So <laughs> with some determination, <laughs> I wrote a book and uh, it was pretty difficult shopping it around for many reasons. I mean, a lot of publishers didn't want my illustrations because I illustrated it myself. Um, and I was a first time author and, you know, a peon and a nobody and a no one who knew no one, knew no one. But uh, again, with my determination, the book got published and um, uh, I got some fascinating, re amazing reviews on Amazon. Um, but a lot of times, especially now that I'm going around to schools and talking and stuff, I just give my books away because it's not a matter of, you know, I mean, yeah, it's great when books sell, but it's more important that they get into the hands of families and, and kids. I didn't, how did that experience impact you? And the reason why I asked that question, Jay, is that it seems um, the childhood experience is important to you from the conversation we've had a little bit today and, and since now. Um, what kind of impact did that have for you to give back to the children that you're obviously helping in so many different ways and children whose dynamic has changed from 15, 20 years ago till present day? Yeah, well, not to get all Whitney Houston on you, but, you know, uh, children are our future. <laughs> so um, it's important that the next generation um, have all the fundamental things that are very important, and that's self-esteem, self-awareness, self-confidence. And one of the ways to do that is to let them know that, listen, we, a lot of us come from, from different backgrounds, and wherever you are, that's where you're supposed to be, and you are loved right there, which is what the name of my book is. It's I am loved right where I am. Um, and I think, you know, being raised in, um, in a, it, I mean, I was raised with a mom and dad for the most part, um, but there was, but regardless, I mean, you know, that had its trials and struggles because no, no home life is perfect, number one. But regardless, I wanted everyone that no matter where you came from, I don't care if your older sister is raising you, that's where you're supposed to be and you are loved. And I just wanted to convey that message to every child. Do you find sometimes that, um, because you, you deal with trauma, especially betrayal trauma, do you find sometimes that the trauma that children go through sometimes gets swept under the rug and it's not addressed early enough and they carry it forward into their child, into their adulthood? Well, that's a pretty loaded question. It's a very good question. Thank you. But it's a pretty loaded question because here, here's the, the thing. Uh, number one, um, sometimes there's generational trauma. So, so people don't even recognize trauma as trauma. Um, you know, there's an old saying, um, if you come from a toxic family, um, make sure a toxic family doesn't come from you. The problem is, is that we know what we know. And so if we're raised with spanking and yelling and screaming and whatever, that's normal to us. 
So, you know, so you, you a child can be traumatized and, and certainly it's not even realized. Um, uh, and then when you, and, and the other thing too is, you know, I always say trauma is nothing that we um, ever get over. You can't get over trauma. It's like anything else from ADHD or OCD or whatever the case is, you learn how to best manage it. But most certainly a lot of trauma is um, swept under the carpet, uh, even in terms of um, culture. There's a lot of cultures that, you know, um, aren't pro-therapy, you know, aren't pro-introspection, aren't pro-self-reflection. So there's a lot of things. And, and trauma will come out in areas of your life. It absolutely will, whether it's addictions, whether it's um, anger issues, even up until physical issues. And I'm glad you touched on that um, because I grew up in a household very early on as a child. Um, spanking and that type of discipline was acceptable. I, want, I don't want to say it was normal because um, my parents, I guess they, in their mind, they felt that it was inappropriate. But because, as you mentioned, it came down from their, their parents, their parents' parents, so on and so forth. But he began to see the shift with myself and, and my siblings as well. And I made it a point in my life to look at the things that I didn't like as a child. Didn't look at the things that I didn't like as a young adult. Look at the things I didn't like as a full-fledged adult. And said, I want to change this. I need to make sure, as you put it, even though I may have come from a family that could be viewed as toxic, I want to make sure that a toxic family is not born from me. Um, when you mentioned your childhood and you mentioned you've been married all these years, you mentioned you have two beautiful children. Was there a point in your life where you had that same type of conversation with yourself or that same type of vow that you wanted to make sure that the childhood you provided for your children was different than the ones that, um, your adopted children, sorry, that was different from the one, the childhood that you grew up with? Yeah. You know, I think that's an ongoing conversation. Um, uh, uh, just like everything else should be. It's really an ongoing conversation and an ongoing struggle. Um, I mean, you know, when you are born and raised, that is your blueprint. That is your foundation. To go against that is that's a lot of work. So it's a struggle. Um, and I can't say that I haven't fallen short. I mean, there's many times I've lost it on my kid. No, I've never lashed out and beat them. But, but certainly it is a struggle. Um, just like everything else, like even marriage, you know, marriage is a constant conversation. It's, you know, um, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, and this is a, I can go on forever, but one of the things, um, uh, especially in marriage nowadays is, you know, we live in a microwave society. You want a hamburger, you go through a drive-thru within minutes, you can have a hamburger. Uh, you want to cheat on your spouse, download an app and within minutes, you can meet somebody secretly and, you know, wherever. We live in a microwave society. If we are not constantly communicating um, our needs, our spouse's needs, not to mention, I also say, you know, we're not human beings, we're human evolvements. We're, we're constantly evolving. You're a different person today than you were five years ago. You're going to be a different person five years from now than you are today. You are constantly evolving. You're growing. You're learning. So you have to get to know, you know, the new you all the time. And if you're with somebody, you have to constantly build bridges to that new person to get to know you and to get to know the new person that you're with because they're evolving as well. So it's an ongoing conversation. Everything in life is. Well, that said, are you, how happy 
on how proud are you um, in regards to the type of man that you're becoming? Because as you mentioned, you're always changing, always evolving. And have you ever taken a step back and said, wow, I used to be like this five, 10, 15 years ago. And here I am today helping all these people, um, changing lives, giving a little bit of me to each and every person I come in contact with. Have you had those type of moments? You know, yes, absolutely. 100%. Um, I Listen, I am very, very, very proud of everything that I'm doing. I'm very proud of everything that I've accomplished. Um, I'll even give myself a pack on the bat, back at times. Absolutely. But I will tell you something. One of life's struggles, one of life's many struggles is uh, balance. Listen, you, you, uh, you go to work during the day, your boss always wants more out of you. You go to church on Sunday, the pastor always wants more out of you. You come home after work, your spouse wants more out of you. Your, your kids are, want more out of you. You, you are stretched thin everywhere you go. Every step you take, every breath you make, you are constantly stretched thin. You have to constantly reevaluate yourself. Um, and the other thing too is um, you, you have to decide in life what's important because everything is a trade-off. If you want A, you have to sacrifice B. You and I are talking right now, right? We're having a great conversation. I'm loving this. I hope you're loving it. I hope your listeners are going to get something out of it. However, it's at the expense of my family. My family's downstairs right now, probably eating dinner without me. So everything in life is a balance too, that you have to decide, okay, you know, if I want A, I have to sacrifice B. What I tell people all the time is you have to give yourself a report card in life. And you have to, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing, what, whoever you are, you have to put those on your report card, such as, okay, marriage, spirituality, parent, um, neighbor, a clean house. You have to do all these things because we're responsible for all these things. And you're allowed two A's and two B's and two C's and two D's. Because here's what happens. We all want an A in every area of our life. Well, you just can't have an A in every area of your life. You know, if you want an A in a clean house, give yourself an A in clean house and scrub your bathroom. You'll get an A, but you only allowed one other A because we're not all Wonder Woman and Superman. So we have to allow ourselves an A in certain categories, a B in, and be content with that. Do you find that's difficult for some people to accept that they may not be the best in this area, even though they're very good in this area? 100%. And there's many reasons for that. Number one, because we live in a society where everybody wants to keep up with the Joneses, especially social media. I mean, come on, how many times do you get on social media? And you're, I mean, even a celebrity, like, like nobody looks the way they do on Facebook. Nobody, you know, and what, what do we do? We're so busy comparing ourselves. It's like we're comparing our body with people on Facebook or, or social media. We're comparing our vacations with people on social media. We're comparing what we have for dessert on social. It's like we live in this society where we're just constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses. So, so, you, so no, you, you have to live your own life with your own report card and not you know, constantly try to compare yourself with someone else. Because even the people on social media, I mean, you know, it's, we go on vacation and, you know, we'll argue with our spouses and, and yell at our kids. Oh, everybody quiet, pose for the picture. Yay, family vacation. That's what we post. Two seconds later, we're back yelling at our kids and arguing with our spouse. But all the, all the world's going to see is, oh, look at this wonderful family on this amazing vacation. That's a good point you mentioned. I remember I went to Bali, Indonesia, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And 
<laughs> Sometimes you take pictures and videos because you want to have memories of the moment. And the pictures sure. I took were amazing. Um, I was allowed to go to the to the cultural events of the the locals of the natives. I participated in the um, the um, the water prayers, all this stuff, right? Nice. But if you base my experience on the pictures and videos, you think I had the amazing time. What a lot of people don't know was the person I was dating at that time. It ended during that vacation, right? To your point, yeah. even even though like you look at the pictures, you think it was an amazing time, but behind the scenes, as you mentioned, there was something brewing and there's something going on, and it makes me think about when you mentioned social media. When you go on social media, especially with the celebrities, you would think they're the most gorgeous, attractive people in the world, but you don't understand there's filters, there's angles, there's lighting, there's all these things. And we try to keep up because the way it is now, like, I don't know how old you are, but we're probably within the same generation. We remember a time, if I want to compete with Jay, I had to go and see Jay. Okay, what, what is Jay driving? What is this? What is that? Now I can just do a little bit of Google. Oh, he bought this house. I'm gonna buy the house right next to it so it could be bigger. I'm gonna get the car that's newer things like that. So it's interesting to see how things have changed where we're competing with people. Not like how we used to compete with our friends. I want to be the better football player. I want to be the better basketball player. I want to be the better athlete. I want to be the better husband, whatever. We're competing with people that we don't even know. And it would be okay if we were competing with things saying that Jay's a wonderful husband. I want to be just as good we're competing about things that in the long run don't really matter yeah they're material things and the concern is you know so so you just mentioned our generation so you know like for instance the internet wasn't even out until i was probably a teenager you know so what's what's challenging now is that kids that are born and raised in in this time um, they don't know anything else except social media, except, you know, uh, comparison. And this is why like depression has skyrocketed in a lot of ways. Anxiety has skyrocketed um, because, because of social media, not to mention that if you put, I mean, this gets into a whole nother topic, but especially with a brain that's, that's still developing. If you're on social media for too long, that, that rewires your brain. So, I mean, you know, listen, I always say technology is both a blessing and a burden. It, you have, you, you have to make sure that, uh, you are in control of it and not letting it control you. On that topic, um, because I think there's a lot of trauma that we do go through in the comparison and in trying to just be like everyone else instead of appreciating our individuality. Um, it seems like no one wants to be unique anymore. No one wants to stand out. They want to fit in. And on that note, in regards to the trauma, um, I know you help people through betrayal trauma. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you help people through that experience? Certainly. Um, thank you for asking. So um, like I was saying before, uh, nobody uh, is exempt from trauma or betrayal or betrayal trauma. Um, the difference between uh, other types of trauma than betrayal trauma is, is they don't feel so personal. If you lose a parent, that's traumatizing. That's very traumatizing, but it doesn't feel personal. You know, that parent didn't intentionally uh, pass 
to hurt you. Now, having said that, betrayal trauma, even though it happens to you, it's not about you. So, so even though it feels like it's personal, not, you know, it isn't nine times out of 10. Um, now keep in mind that people can be betrayed and have betrayal trauma from a whole vast array of, of, of people and, and reasons. For instance, uh, people can be uh, betrayed. People can have betrayal trauma from their parents. You can have betrayal trauma from your children, a neighbor, a boss, um, uh, yourself. Um, I can't tell you how many times I talked to people who say, you know, I ate right and I exercised and I meditated and then I was diagnosed with cancer. It's almost like, you know, your body's betraying you, you know, and then most certainly there's the betrayal trauma from a significant other. You know, you found them unfaithful or what have you. So depending on the kind of trauma that somebody goes through, obviously you, you try to address that particular trauma. Um, the first thing that happens, I tell people all the time is, you know, a lot of our lives are like filing cabinets. You have your filing cabinet. You, this is what you remember. This is what you're comfortable with. Th this is your life. It's, it's, it, you, you know, your past and you can almost predict your future for the most part. This is your filing cabinet. This is what you know. This is what you're comfortable with. And betrayal trauma, what happens, it's almost like somebody coming in and taking that filing cabinet and completely th throwing it over the mountaintops and the wind is blowing all over and all of your files are skewed all over. You have no idea, like, oh my God, like, <laughs> who am I? Where, where am I going? What am I doing? What, you know, blah. so, so you're completely um, lost. You're completely lost. Now, 90% of my calls right now obviously our betrayal trauma from a significant other. So it's people that just found out, uh, usually by discovery, that their spouse has been unfaithful. And if I can just give your listeners, um, uh, you know, a real quick, quick example of that. Imagine, okay, imagine you are holding your two young children walking across a bridge that's a mile above the earth. And under that bridge is all fire and lava. So you're holding two of your babies, one in each hand, you're walking across the bridge and you're following your significant other who you're trusting to get you to the other side safely. So you're walking with your two babies, hand in hand, uh, one on each hand, and you start to feel the bridge shake. All of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I got my babies in my hand, lava is beneath me, this bridge cannot collapse. Next thing you know, the bridge collapses your heart just goes to your feet and you look up and it's your spouse, your significant other who's holding the hammer. They're the ones that made the bridge collapse. Now you're all screwed up. Oh my God, who can I trust? Who's gonna save me? Who can I count on? You are in a complete state of disarray and chaos. Your mind's been hijacked to say the least. So the first thing that I try to do in a, in a, uh, a situation like that is what's what I call calming the tiger. Imagine right now I place you in a room, a small room with a hungry wild tiger. Your, your sympathetic is kicked in. Your nervous system is kicked in. Your frontal cortex, which is the logic part, is not think you're not you're not there. You're not thinking. All you're all you're thinking of is survival mode because there's a hungry tiger in the room. One of the things I like to do is just go down the five senses. Okay. 
what are five things you can see right now? Those are real because nothing's real to you. Nothing is real to you. you. Everything that was real to you just collapsed. One of the things I do like to do immediately is, okay, what are your five senses? Name five things you can see right now. Name four things you can smell. Name two things you can hear. Name one thing you can touch because those are real. Those are tangible. And now you feel like, okay, you know what? I'm on earth. I, I, I'm breathing. I can do this. The next thing you do is, okay, tell me some things that you're sure of. The sun's going to come out tomorrow. And when the sun comes out tomorrow, you start to trust again, just the basics. Certainly not yourself, certainly not your significant other, but you're just trusting the basics because right now you are in a complete state of chaos. Um, you know, and then and obviously the beginning stages, I tell people, make sure you drink a lot of water because man, you're, all of your organs are working double time. You need to replenish them. You're crying so much that you can become dehydrated. When you become dehydrated, your brain can't function at full capacity. So I always say hydration is absolutely um, important. This is the time of self-care. Now let's fast, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, continue, continue. <laughs> okay, now <laughs> let's fast forward uh, a few weeks, a few months, blah, blah, blah. Now, now, now I'm starting to get into other things. Like for instance, okay, let's change the narrative because, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, a lot of times if somebody breaks up with us or uh, cheats on us, we, we have our own narrative. Um, we start thinking, oh, was my butt too big? Was my morning breath too smelly? Was my, you know, we start our, our narrative and, and that's gotta be challenged. Because again, I always say betrayal happens to you, but it's not about you. So um, challenging your own narrative is, as far as that goes. Um, then what I try to have people do eventually, like I said, is write yourself a letter, write the child in you a letter. Um, because nine times out of 10, well, actually what's happening is that you're not only dealing with the betrayal at hand as an adult, you're also dealing with what triggered your childhood, some of the, um, some of the emotions that maybe you didn't deal with as a child, some of the triggers you had as a child. So it's important to write, write your younger self a letter. One of the things that I do, when I was a teacher, when I was a special ed teacher, we used to have what's called an IEP, and that's an individualized education plan, because every child learns differently. So you had to teach to that specific uh, child, their learning ability and capability. What I do now as a betrayal trauma practitioner is I give everybody what's called an IHP, which is an individual healing plan. And I ask people, you know, what's your love language? Um, and, if, and if your listeners aren't familiar with what a love language is, everybody has a love language, whether it's words of affirmation, uh, gifts, physical touch, quality time. So I ask people, what's your, um, I ask them a bunch of questions. What's your love language? What's your attachment style? And if they don't know, I give them a test and we find out. Um, where on the sibling totem pole uh, were you? And the reason this is important is because hypothetically speaking, let's just say your love language is words of affirmation, right? Now, let's just say that you found out your significant other got drunk one night, had a fling, um, and that was it. They, they confessed, they profusely apologized, and you decided you're going to reconcile, right? Okay, that's going to bother you. Don't get me wrong. That's going to bother you horrifically, but it's probably going to bother you slightly less than if your love language was words of affirmation and you found 
30 letters that your significant other wrote to the other person about how they, you know, their undying love for them and how they wanted to be with them and marry them and have kids with them. Because what happens is now your love language was stolen to give to someone else. Same thing with physical touch. You know, somebody that uh, if their love language was physical touch and there was something physical that happened with their spouse, that's going to hurt a lot more than say something else because that was their love language. So, you know, I, I, I try not to just deal with trauma with people. I try to deal specifically with people's trauma. And do you find, because you made a good point when I was listening to it, do you find that many of the traumas that you mentioned will be um, triggered because they've experienced something similar? Um, so yes, Ish, and I hope I answer your question. So, ba so basically, one of the things that I will ask people is, okay, I know what happened and I know who did it. Tell me what that represented to you. For instance, um, let's just say you're with somebody and they represent protection to you. Let's just say you're with somebody and they, re and th they represent provisions for you. When somebody steps outside the relationship, they're, they're, you can feel like your protection was stolen. You can feel like your provisions was stolen. And if you had a hard time with that in your childhood, let's just say you never felt protected as a child or you never felt you're provided for as a child, that's going to trigger a really deep void and you're going to have a harder time dealing with that betrayal. That makes sense to me because I was thinking about a couple of examples of some friends who um, they always seem to experience the same type of disappointment in yeah. their relationships, whether it's romantic, friendship or professional. And I was just thinking while you're explaining that, that maybe something similar happened to them in their childhood. And because it's unresolved, it just continues to manifest itself in the future and through the rest of their lives. Absolutely. Because listen, a lot of times we as children, when we have voids, we purposely go into relationships trying to fill those voids. But what happens is that when our needs are not met, or something catastrophic or, you know, happens, we have the same hurt again. So until we heal that void, it's, you know, we're just going to keep, unfortunately, getting the same uh, lesson. And, you know, sometimes life will whisper in our ear. Sometimes life will smack us upside our face. And then if we're not getting that lesson and working on ourselves, sometimes a building comes crumbling down on us. And that's in the form of sometimes betrayal trauma. So when you deal with them, Jay, when you not deal with them, sorry, when you deal with your clients, Jay, um, are you helping them pick up the pieces or are you helping them pick up the pieces and prevent it from happening again? Meaning that it's going from, let's say, unresolved to resolved and then they can move on. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, I always say you can't have peace unless you have all the pieces. So um, I do try to um, help heal or, or, or have them move forward, um, filling those voids because one of my many goals is, um, is, you know, how many people see red flags and they're just red flags. I want people to move forward to the point where red flags are no longer red flags. They're, um, deal breakers. And for those who don't know, what would you, what would you say the difference between the two are? 
Okay, a red flag could be anything. A red red flag really could be anything. Um, you know, a twist in your gut, um, uh, seeing something that you purposely or unpurposely or consciously or unconsciously ignore. Um, those are red flags. Uh, and, and, and we've all had them and we've all overlooked them, which by the way is called betrayal blindness. And I can go into that in a second. Um, but what happens is that once we get to a point in life where we start um, knowing ourselves, getting to know ourselves, being our true selves, coming up to the person we're supposed to be, we no longer accept those red flags because now they're just deal breakers. Simple as that. Perfect. And for you, on a personal note, did you experience something like this? And if so, what, what was it and how did you come to terms with it, especially now knowing what you know? Yeah, most certainly. Well, you know, I think being uh, sexually violated by my uncle, um, certainly there was a lot of betrayal there. Um, I think, uh, um, you know, as I got old, I mean, I, there's betrayal after betrayal. Um, when I got old, I, I was uh, very good, very close with a cousin of mine, very close with a cousin of mine. We were like brothers. We were raised together. We went to school together. Um, we were very, very, very close. Um, uh, we stood up in each other's weddings. Um, we were in our kids' lives together. Um, we went into business together. Um, uh, long story short, I discovered one time that he was stealing money from me. And I can't explain to you how devastating that was. Uh, I, I, it was just devastating. Um, and then shortly after that, he tragically died in a car accident. So I had, I could never get any type of closure whatsoever. Um, so I had to learn to give myself closure with that. And I had to learn, and, 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 and probably in some ways I'm still, I still am, am, am dealing with that betrayal. Cause like I said, betrayal is something you never get over. You just learn to live with it. Um, but you know, and, and on that note, it's funny because so many times I'll hear people say, um, oh, my, uh, my, my passion gives me purpose. Okay, fine, great, and dandy. You can say passion gives you purpose, but if you want to get real, pain gives us purpose. So this is why I do what I do, because there's no substitute for experience. I will agree with that 100%. I think we learn so much more from, from pain and suffering just because it makes us. It's like a medal of our life. It's like a stripe. It's like something that we've earned when we've gone through it. And this is not to say that those who maybe um, didn't experience a traumatic situation is less than, absolutely not. This is just to say that you get a sense of accomplishment. You get a sense of satisfaction. You get a sense of yourself when you know you've been through something difficult and you had to find a way to overcome it. It gives you a different sense of urgency. It gives you a different sense of determination. You figure out, and I love this, and maybe Jay, you've gone through this as well, when you look back at something and you say, man, when I was in my 20s, I went through A, B, and C, one, two, and three. And here I am 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, stronger than I ever was. Um, has it been moments where you have taken that strength and given it to others. Like how much of yourself do you put into your work? 
Well, like I said, there's no substitute for experience. And I think one of the great things is uh, people that walk through hell is to grab a cup of ice water for the person walking out of it behind them. Um, and I agree with what you said. I agree with what, everything you said. The, the, you know, one of the things that I, I tell people is that um, trauma, trauma is not a gift, in my opinion. Trauma is not a gift. And the reason being is because so many people take that and they become jaded. Where the hell was the gift? Sorry to swear. What happens is that if you take your trauma and you move through the healing process, the lessons from that are a true gift. And it's one of life's greatest gifts. There's amazing gifts. But trauma isn't a gift. It's if you choose to work through that, heal and rise to, to the person that you're supposed to be. Because, you know, I tell people all the time, nobody in the history of mankind has ever been, has ever died from a snake bite. Nobody has ever, ever died from a snake bite. What people die from is when the venom gets into their veins, into their bloodstream, goes to their heart. That's how they die. So we're all given pain. We're all given pain. What we need to do is learn how to apply our anti-venom by healing ourselves to prevent that pain from reaching our heart. And then we become jaded.